This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. to the Crown Gridiron Nation podcast. I'm Jim Mullen. He's Gord Randall. Uh, Adam Kordick, who one year we would like to have on this podcast, hides when this microphone gets rolled out. <laughs> he's, our, uh, he's our line producer and kind of co-producer of the TV show and does an outstanding effort. But He used to be an on-camera guy. I don't know why yeah. he's uh, retreated to the background so much. He was an on-camera personality back in the, back in the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he could have taken a career path like Andrew Wadden if he would have stuck to it. Oh, Andrew Wadden. That guy's that guy's big time these days. Oh, yeah. No, he, he big time me the other day. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah. What did he do? Big time. Well, we, we remember last week yeah. uh, when Mike Hogan couldn't show up. Yeah. Like, we could have put him on a flash cam at CTV Vancouver. So, oh, no, 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 man. I'm too busy. Yeah. I'm too busy. Yeah. Well, in fairness to, to him, he hasn't been following uh, the college stuff. Uh, the way he, he used and to. And he is so. quite busy. He's he now is. He's crazy busy. Hosting his own show on weekends on top of his producing work during the week with Sakaris and Price. I think he regularly works six, sometimes seven days a week. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, he's a pretty, bu- so. pretty busy guy making his way over at uh, TSN 1040, our local affiliate here. So, uh, and the, the number one sports radio station in town, I might add. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, good for him. Now, uh, let's talk about a couple of things. I was at the uh, Lions Alouettes game last night. Yeah, you're a little clashing right now. I mean, the <laughs> listeners can't see him, but he's currently wearing a BC Lions vintage throwback hat yep. and a Montreal Concords T-shirt. It's the '70s. Who are, now, the who, are the Montre- who are the Montreal Concords for those of us that are millennials? Uh, the Montreal Concords were the team that um, uh, arose from the ashes of the first edition of the Alouettes in the early 1980s when there was a bankruptcy, and they hung around for about um, three years. Uh, until uh, until the organization imploded. Actually, going into the 80, uh, 86 and 87 uh, years, they did away with the name, the Concords, and went back to the Alouettes. Mm-hmm. And then they folded shop just before the 87 season. So okay. that's, that was the long stretch that Montreal was uh, without football. Start. Well, they had the Montreal machine in there. Okay. The World League of American right. Football. Chris Flynn played on that team, actually. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm... Not old enough to remember that, but I am old enough to remember growing up in a CFL without Montreal, and it's almost unthinkable now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alouettes have been back and, and successful and such a fixture in the league now again to think of a CFL without Montreal, but that's that's what we had for a good chunk of my life growing up. Well, th- well, I wanted to bring this game up because I want people to start thinking about a CFL without the BC Lions in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience there may have been around the 7,000 range. I don't know what the what the official count was. And we had fantastic seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're sitting on the 45, 15 rows up, and there must have been, uh, within our general vicinity, oh, I'd say about 20% occupancy in our, in our section. 
Uh, you know, uh, the facility, uh, at least between the goal lines, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, the so, replay so board. So the announced attendance for that game was yeah. 17,353. That reminds me, uh, I want to talk about the football thing, but it reminds me of the, of the story that me and my uh, friend uh, John Winton, who I used to uh, do BCJHL broadcasts with, like, way, way long ago, back in uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, we used to do uh, PA systems at uh, the New Westminster Royals games. And this was a year after the uh, uh, New Westminster Bruins rolled out of town. Right. And I wasn't there that one night where the owner came up and he had a few too many wine with dinner. Matter of fact, all he did was drink wine for dinner. He didn't actually have any food. <laughs> and uh, the first three nights they had attendances of about 800, 900, 700. And they were announcing the attendances as the number came up from the yeah. box office. Yeah. I said, uh, tonight's attendance, 835. The new Westminster Royals would like to thank you. And they hear stomp, stomp, stomp coming up the catwalk at Queens Park Arena. And it's and it's the owner, yeah. Bruce. And he said, Jesus Christ. He said, we want to sound like we're big league, like the Western Hockey League. Don't ever announce a crowd of under 1,000 ever effing again. Right? And then stomps out. So moving forward... Um, John used to announce the uh, the attendances in code. Mm. So if there were 400 people in the building, and he'd announce it this way too. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's attendance is 1,004. Yeah. <laughs> so that'd be 400. Yeah. You know, 850. Tonight's attendance, 1,004. 85 <laughs> so 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 there was a code there that if you went through their season's worth of attendance you could actually get the real attendance in the in the right yeah. two columns that's awesome with the 1000 in front of it right Jeez. so yeah but anyway lions did that 1000 thing i think because i yeah. think there were 7000 in there and they added a one in front of it well um, and then there's also the like actual tickets sold and all that kind of stuff i mean They've got a lot of logistical issues uh, in this market right now, and and uh, like you said, it's unfortunate that venue is a good venue. I always enjoy being there when I'm there, but everything else about it sucks. Getting yeah. there is terrible. Yes, getting there was terrible. Parking last in the night. parking in the area is terrible. Mm -hmm. If you decide to drive down, traffic's awful. Mm -hmm. You know, and the problem with the Lions right now is that the majority, and I've said this for years, but the majority of their fan base are suburban families, and suburban families are being pushed further and further away from where their venue actually is. Okay. These are not the Vancouver Canucks where you're going to get a lot of uh, more well-off people and corporate types attending the games. These are families and middle-class families at that, and not only are ticket prices going up, but now the cost to get there is going up yeah. through the roof too. Yeah, forty dollars to park near near the facility for us, and 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 parking was a necessity for us. Transit wasn't uh, uh, something that we could exercise simply because we live over on Bowen Island. We have to bring yeah. the car over. We uh, picked up some relatives in North Vancouver. You got to drive in, and driving yeah. in was a genuine pain in the ass. Parking was fine because there weren't that many people there. We parked. Yeah. Uh, uh, next to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre for, for 40 bucks, as I mentioned. But the other concern, and I've seen it before, but I really saw it uh, last night, uh, was that the average age of the season ticket holder there is well above 60. Well, about, I'd say there's a 62 to 67 age range of a, of a core uh, audience that, you know, they're going to 
they're in the process of dropping off here. Mm -hmm. And they had a student night with, with students from local colleges in the various corners and the, you know they try to do a student rush thing which was which was nice but they got a long way to go to re-engage with anybody under the age of 40 right now and that's why it's such a concern that no other cfl city including toronto which has done a done a fairly good job of moving actual tickets and having real announced attendances and and doing uh, some fantastic group sales on a, on on a, on a couple of occasions, especially in around the CNE, um, they don't have the same problem as Vancouver does. Like no. Vancouver is uh, geographically where that stadium is, it's kind of on its own island now mm -hmm. uh, in terms of a in terms of a point of access. So yeah, there are many things to be worried about in terms of in terms of the viability of the organization. And certainly David Braley holding on to this team as the value of it continues to go down is not encouraging. No. You know, that, well, that's, his, that's his, the other thing. His right. thing's long been like uh, he doesn't want to sell the franchise while its value is at an endear, but like <laughs> it's not going to turn around until he does. Like he just, for a guy who spent his life being such a, such a brilliant businessman, it's, it's, a, it's almost a stunning business decision. Um, and that for him to continue to hold on to the franchise, especially when he doesn't feel like investing in it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean that that under forty, the the generation under forty, is harder to reach for a number of reasons. One of them being that that's that's an NFL generation, right? Mm -hmm. That is the generation that has grown up with complete access to the NFL mm -hmm. and and uh, is well aware of that product, and that's kind of what football revolves around for them. And then if the, like the CFL kind of fills the time when the NFL is not on, and that's, that's, I would say, a good generalization of the under 40 demographic in this country. And it's some, but that's something that's like markets across the country struggle with. What the Lions struggle with is, I mean, for starters, their team was out of it early this yeah. year. Yeah. And I knew as soon as they hit the skids early in the season, I was like, oh, this is going to get ugly towards yeah. the end of the season because it's tough enough to maintain interest in the team when they're competitive, nonetheless, when they fall off the map early. And, I mean, they, they haven't had an excellent BC Lions team here for almost a decade now. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's that been a part of the struggles as well. Um, and we talked about location. Uh, I do I do applaud the organization. They've tried some new initiatives this year. They've been a little bit more creative with some of the stuff mm -hmm. that they've done in the last couple of years. And... And they're trying their best, but it's it's tough. And and I mean, I, I I've long said that they they just absolutely have to have a facility elsewhere. Yeah. Not not that I don't think the Lower Mainland can't support football, but I just think that a downtown Vancouver stadium is not. I mean, you look at the amateur football community in this in this area. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go with this. I wanted to draw the connection between uh, amateur football and the BC Lions. We know that the Seattle Seahawks have around 8,000 season ticket holders that come out of the uh, Vancouver and BC area that support the Seahawks. That being said, I don't see the presence of the Seahawks really energizing amateur football or having that direct connection mm -hmm. to amateur football the same way a CFL team does or the way the BC Lions should have. Mm -hmm. And that's where my concern is right now. And there's a little bit of a disconnect with the high schools here, for example, playing American foot, American rules. But like what I was talking about, though, is is demographics in terms of the amateur football community. Where the Lions Stadium is located in downtown Vancouver, there's a good pocket on the North Shore across the water to the north. But other than that, like you, you have to go a ways before you find 
a a legitimate football area yeah. in this in this area. You have to go over the bridges. You have to go over two bridges or a bridge in a tunnel yeah. to get to a football community. I mean, within really. within the city limits of the city of Vancouver, there are three high school football programs operating in the entire city of Vancouver. Two of them are private schools in Notre Dame and Vancouver College, and then the third one's Eric Hamber. Mm -hmm. It is not a big football area in the city of Vancouver these days, mm -hmm. and Richmond too, for that matter, which is just south of the city of Vancouver. So, like, but you get out to the suburbs uh, football is huge in Coquitlam it's it's huge in New Westminster it's huge in, in uh, Langley mm -hmm. big in Surrey mm -hmm. big in Delta all those areas around like that's where they and out into Abbotsford and Chilliwack they need to find a way to get to become accessible to those people mm -hmm. because that's where the football people are yeah Maple Ridge big mistake redeveloping that stadium the way they did I can't believe $850 million was reinvested into that facility. Yeah, well, it, it was a misread of the market, and it was, it was what, what I found funny about it was that it was done in conjunction with the Olympics, but after the Olympics. Yeah, half of it was. The, 500, the $525 million uh, refurbishment was the second phase that yeah. was done after the Olympics, where they put the little uh, sunroof in, yeah. into the dome. And, and it, it is unfortunate because, you know, sitting there, it's like, wow, this facility has so much potential, but it's just in the wrong place, yep. in the wrong place at the wrong time, yep. with the wrong economic factors, uh, with the wrong transit factors. Well, that's, like I talked about factors for the under 40 market. I mean, yeah. in, this, in this market, the under 40 crowd is like, we don't have a lot of disposable income. No. Nope. And if we do, we're usually spending it to get the hell out of here for a, for a holiday, and yeah. that's about all we have time for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we it's harder to get into real estate. It's harder to settle down. People are taking longer to settle down and have families and all that kind of stuff. And and all of those factors work against the Lions as they're trying to draw people's attention. Can an organization uh, like the Lions uh, realistically operate on that price point that would work with under 40s, though? Uh, and uh, can an organization of any sort, because we've seen major junior hockey teams take uh, various hits uh, at the gate, like they keep dropping off by about 4 to 5% per year. Mm -hmm. um, can you engage people 40 and under in a season ticket with that level of commitment? Because season's tickets were the backbone and the lifeblood of, of CFL teams for years, especially in... Uh, in Western Canada and in places like uh, like Hamilton and, and Ottawa when it was the Riders and it was healthy and it's come back in a big way with the Red Blacks. Mm -hmm. um, can you access that sort of customer uh, in that kind of, uh, of consumer relationship? Um, I, I see, I don't know. Like I, I know for me personally, like this season, in my opinion, is just too long. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's it's great. We, it's awesome when it starts up in June. It fills a part of the part of the year where you don't have a lot of other sports entertainment options, uh, at least in North America. It's basically them, baseball, and then it, MLS. But then it Speaking drags. Speaking of long seasons, MLS. Yeah. Then it wow. drags. But then it drags into the fall, and like yeah. again. This is just me, and I'm not your average person out there. But once I get into the beginning of September, I'm so engrossed in my own football stuff, and then the stuff that we do for the show. And there's all these different brands of football and all this noise yeah, out there yeah. 
that the CFL just becomes a lower priority for me and, and I, I lose touch with it entirely. Your, your team if has lines, to be in it. Your yes, team has to be in it. If the Lions are competitive, yeah, yeah. I keep following. Yeah. But if they're not, it's like I watched a good chunk of that game the other night on TV. That's the first time I've sat down and watched the majority of a Lions game since, I think, June. Mm -hmm. Maybe early July. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's really killing the product right now, too. Um, I know that they've started to move the season earlier, and I know they don't want to lose some of the some of the classics like Thanksgiving weekend and Labor Day classic and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But I do wonder if this league long term is more viable having a championship game in say the middle to end of September before things really get rolling down south, and you have your your playoff month in the month of September. And you have your championship before that month ends. And once you get deeper into the fall, you start, you allow, you know, the, the American game to kind of take over. What effect do you think a calendar like that would have on youth sports? I mean, youth um, sports is still, from what I understand, still struggling to find a way, even with the CFL looking to, to move their schedule a week earlier to conclude, they're still struggling to find a way to match up the Vanier Cup with the Grey Cup. They, they are actively working on this. Well, um, I, if, you, you know, if you start I, to move to that model, though, it potentially um, gives an opportunity to U Sports because mm -hmm. they now have four people who, ha who are salivating for the Canadian product. Mm -hmm. Now they have less competition. In the for traditional the, season. For the, yeah, yeah, for the important part of their season, yeah. too. Right, and and so that could potentially provide a boost for U Sports, where they have their own kind of independent standalone season. Mm -hmm. How, um, in, in your mind, how much uh, weaker does it put the U Sports brand, uh, even though it doesn't have much market presence, uh, in 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 relation to other sports out there when the CFL is weak in larger markets like Toronto and Vancouver? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this, the health of the CFL is critical to the health of U Sports as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I would say that's not an overly controversial opinion. Yeah. I, I think there are, there are some markets that can survive without it, but what drives interest in U Sports primarily is the connection to the CFL. The professional outcome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Is, is, the, is that it's the root of the CFL. And I mean, it's the same thing in the States, right? It, it's, there's an added factor in the States where you have these huge alumni bases and there's a real cultural presence around college football there. Mm -hmm. But a large part of what drives the enormous success of college football is the pro pipeline aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, getting, getting to know these guys before we start to see them in the NFL, there's the huge uh, culture around the NFL draft and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, U Sports does rely on the health of the CFL. If there's interest in the CFL, then it stands to reason that that increases interest in the U Sports product as well. If you had the opportunity to um, wave a magic wand in regard to uh, the CFL season and youth sports season, uh, what would you do? How would you configure it in a calendar? You mentioned that September. I think personally that's, that's far too early to conclude a CFL season, but maybe I'm an old traditionalist. Um, you know, what, what, what about, would you do? How about this? How about Thanksgiving weekend's now Great Cup weekend? You are kind of grinding up against uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs if, if you're diving into that. And if the Toronto Blue Jays ever go on another run again, you so, become largely irrelevant. But, but, here, but uh, here's the reason the, why September works, and, right? And, and, in, and in that cycle, I mean, the Blue Jays will be relevant probably Two in, a, in a four to six year cycle. Yeah. You know, they rise, they fall, they rise, yeah. they fall. But when they rise, 
we see the impact on TV ratings, uh-huh. right? So why, why I think September's the sweet spot, baseball is kind of at a nadir. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's the playing out the string mm-hmm. part of the baseball season, expanded rosters, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's about eight teams with something to play for, maybe 10, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and when you are, when your team is out of it, like September is just like, it's not even worth watching. No, I'm a Mariners fan. That's June for me. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, but that's, it's a low point in excitement level for baseball before they pick up into the playoffs. The NBA hasn't started yet. Hockey hasn't started yet. Uh, the other brands of football are just getting going. So you're in that month in September where most of the games in the NCAA are non-conference games that are stinkers, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so like that to me is why it's such a sweet spot is because that is um, this, this kind of, this time between, you know, the boys of summer in baseball where everybody identifies with baseball season and also isn't around in their home market a lot. Mm-hmm. And then before the fall sports really kick in and the other added uh, benefit to it would be maybe I wouldn't have to deal with a nauseating amount of preseason hockey talk throughout the entire <laughs> month of September when I don't give a care about what's going on in the NHL until opening night. Well, this, this is not a, uh, a family it podcast. Drives you can say me, anything you it like. It drives me care. nuts. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Oh, who's going to play on Pedersen's wig? Oh, Brandon Sutter, where does he fit into the lineup? Jay Beagle, mm. oh, is he going to earn his money this year? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's Quinn Hughes going to be on power play one or two. I don't care. <laughs> like, wake me up when the games matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I think it's a maybe it's maybe this is football bias for me. I was actually yeah. having this conversation with my girlfriend uh, yesterday because we were at a, we were at a, a sports bar mm-hmm. um, doing like a happy hour thing, and mm-hmm. I wanted to watch some football. And there were TVs on football, so I didn't have major complaints. Yeah. The Argos and Rough Riders were on, and then yeah. uh, I'm blanking on what the American college game was at that point in time. I think it was Ohio State and Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there were three TVs on. The Leafs and the Red Wings playing an exhibition hockey game. And, and I don't know if this is football bias for me, but I, I think it's a mental disease if you care and like if you want to watch preseason sports. I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I don't understand why you would be so interested in a meaningless game. I just don't get it. I've, like, I, I, you know, the, the one thing about being a football And that's person not just in hockey, yeah, I might add, yeah. too. Like, I don't understand people who are interested in preseason football. Well, I was going to say the one thing about preseason football is that. You know, if you're looking at that position competition, just like you are in preseason hockey, but if there is one sport where, as an entertainment value, preseason sports do not work, it's football, man. Yeah. Like, like it's just like football all-star games for, mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. They do not work. No. And, and, it, and, it, and honestly, it blows my mind yeah. that the NFL still runs four games. Yeah, and and, and TSN would be well advised, uh, in my opinion, that during the CFL season, just ignore them. Put them on, put them on uh, TSN Go. Like, yeah. You know, like, like don't do anything with these games. Do not use that as the front end of the of the showcase of your games. Yeah. I like agree. you need exhibition games. There's no question about that. Like yep. looking at the front end of the NFL season this year. It's obvious that a number of NFL teams with individuals could have benefited by, yeah, by running their players underplayed through. Underplayed their yeah, guys. And, yeah. and, you know, you got Russ flying off. It's the first time 
that I've heard in the NFL where, you, where people have talked about, oh, the rust is flying off. These are really kind of preseason games at the start of the preseason. Yeah. We've been living with that in Canada for 15 years. Yeah. Where the first two games of the season or the first four games of the season yep. feel like preseason football. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, I, I would, uh, when it comes to preseason hockey, when it comes to D-League basketball, or <laughs> when it comes to, to, to any of that, like, I, I will take a firm pass on it. Yeah, and I, and I just, like, I, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, imagine thinking that people want to watch this. And then I kind of stepped back and was like, you know, there, there's a chance that somebody requested this. And at that point, I'm like, imagine needing to watch a non-local hockey team in an exhibition game like I just I, I don't know again maybe it's a football thing because football exhibition is so crappy yeah but like and 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 preseason football games are not a huge part of football like uh, true preseason I, I, games I love the Hall of Fame game because you never know when something goofy is going to happen around the Hall of Fame game, yeah like bad paint on the field or a lightning strike uh, yeah. you know 100 meters away from yeah. the stadium or uh, and, and it's the first taste of NFL football, and they managed to turn it into an event based around the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I, I actually kind of like the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. But then I'm reminded that real NFL football doesn't start for another five weeks, and then mm-hmm. I tune the rest of it out. Mm-hmm. Right? No, for sure. I, so. I haven't watched a snap. I didn't watch a snap of NFL exhibition football this season. Mm-hmm. And, and same with the CFL back in the spring. I don't mm-hmm. watch a snap of it. So when, when, when a football season gets uh, started at the amateur level, you run a high school program. Yep. Uh, you mentioned about how you disengage from the professional game, uh, by and large. It, it's a little easier with the NFL because it's still accessible on Sunday. Mm-hmm. CFL bounces around Friday, Saturday. They've yep. really abandoned Sundays, and probably wisely so. Uh, is there any way for a CFL team who's literally up against uh, amateur football schedule-wise to, to build that meaningful connection with those amateur football communities? I, I mean, I think so. Uh, one of the things that hurt uh, has we've I've long felt hurt in this market is the amount of Friday games that the Lions play, mm-hmm. home or on the road, mm-hmm. uh, because the entire amateur football community in this in this province is tied up on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and then there's the odd Saturday afternoon game for high school football as well. There's usually about five of those every week, but you know, it, it's it, that doesn't help because whether I wanted to watch the Lions or not, like my Friday as a as a football guy is all consumed with my own game. Yeah. And then on yeah. Saturdays, like it, it, like I, it's it's seven days a week for me these days because, yeah. you know, Monday through Friday we're running our program, practices, film review, games, and then. Saturday is because we because of what we do obviously I'm involved engaged with some sort of college football whether I'm out at UBC or actually the last couple of weeks I've done the high school football webcast for the game of the week mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm coming home and watching stuff on TV or whatever and then Sunday is we film and then I'm keeping an eye on the NFL because I'm basically uh, back for Sunday evening to watch the Sunday night football game and then next thing you know, it's Monday all over again. Like, there's not a lot of room for the CFL on that schedule, unfortunately. Uh, what sort of feedback do you get from your kids about youth sports football? Uh, what, what, what sort of product knowledge do they have about it at this none. stage in their lives? None. Yeah. Uh, absolutely none. Um, you know, some of them are start if they think they might have a chance to play college ball, they're starting to think about it a little bit. I mean, we're also in uh, out in Surrey, which is more SFU territory than UBC territory. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's maybe a little, little bit more 
uh, attention paid to SFU, but even still, like I, I don't believe that a single one of my players could tell me any school in SFU's conference. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and the that's same. always been the case around here, though. When well, SFU was playing in the NAIA, like nobody knew where Western Washington was. Yeah, it's right across the border in Bellingham. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why I was opposed to the SFU decision to go back down to the states because I I knew as a player myself. There's not a lot to get me up for our next game against who gives a damn state college. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it just, it, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you look at some of the schools that have beat SFU this year. The South Dakota School of Mines. And technology. The Hard, the hard Rockers, <laughs> right? Uh, That's a great name. It is a good name. Yeah, we already, we already discussed names. We're not going to go into names. Yeah. You know, like Azusa Pacific. A to Z in the USA. Yeah. Azusa. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> You know, like, it's just, I don't know, I, I whatever, it, it is what it is, but I, I, my kids do not have a lot of knowledge of the U-Sports product at all. Now, granted, my kids are exceptionally not football experienced. Yeah. It's actually one of the things that we're kind of battling right now is our kids, they're nice kids, they work hard enough, all that kind of stuff. They just, they, they haven't been exposed to football enough and they just, mm-hmm. they don't have, I'll, I'll give you an example. We had a play in our game on Friday night, our kids coming around on a jet sweep. Mm-hmm. And he, he takes the jet sweep, fumbles the exchange, mm-hmm. and the ball hits the ground, and he just stops playing. <laughs> and he's, stand, he's standing there like, ah, oh, damn, I dropped it. And we're like, get on the ball! It's a live ball! And, and like after like two seconds of him kind of standing there, all of a sudden he, oh! And he jumps on the ball. Unfortunately, yeah. we recovered it, but oh like he just, he, it didn't, he didn't even have the awareness to realize that it was not an incomplete pass because he's usually a receiver. So when something hits the ground, the play is dead. So, so you know, we're talking about a connection between the CFL and U Sports and the connection between the two of them and amateur football. And you're telling me that uh, many of the combatants involved in amateur football, at least in this part of the world, don't really have a significant connection with any part of the football culture if they're in that situation. Yeah, I mean, to, I, to, I to think, react in that fashion. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a pocket. I also think that's something that. I know it applies to us. I'm not gonna go out there and say that it applies to everybody in the. No, but 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 it, but it's but it's possible that in these various pockets, especially you you've got a fairly uh, ethnically diverse mm-hmm. school that you work with, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, our student body is roughly, I would say, about 60% Indo-Canadian. Uh, I would say another 20% or so Filipino Canadian. Um, you know, white kids, obviously, you name it. We've we've got all sorts on on our roster. We've got uh, Vietnamese kid. We've got a number of Filipino kids. We've got a number of Indo-Canadian kids. We've got a Somalian uh, refugee. We've got all sorts of stuff on our team, um, and and that's unusual for a football program. Mm-hmm. I would say we're one of the more d- truly diverse football programs out there right now, um, and that's part of the challenge as well. Is that a lot of you know immigrant families and things like that, but. Um, yeah, it's it's like their only real exposure to football is like Madden Mobile. A lot of them play Madden Mobile, and mm-hmm. that's about it. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's let's save that topic about how you put a football team together mm-hmm. with with, with uh, groups that are so ethnically diverse. Because the answer, I think, to the to the growth of the game in mm-hmm. this country, at least one part of the answer to it is mm-hmm. exactly what you're experiencing right now we can save that for our next podcast sounds good okay yeah. uh so for everyone on the crown gridiron nation podcast and for everyone on cfl reddit that helps us get it out there and 
the Hubcast Studios here in Surrey, where we record it. This is Jim Mullen saying we will talk to you next week. Sure.